Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Well, welcome to church. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Nick Harris, and uh, I work in the college uh, here at Harrisdale, and I'm uh, married. I have a stunning wife. She's down the back doing the, the classic mum move, moving a, a pram backwards and forwards. I've got two kids. Uh, I, I, well, Coralie, my youngest, turns one next month. And my eldest, Maya Rose, has called my wife and I both out already to go to children's ministry to help her with the toilet. So that's just parenting life, I guess. And uh, many of you will have experienced that season. In fact, I was sitting down during worship and my um, youngest jumped on me and I realized that she was not the cleanest and I'm wearing a white shirt. I was reminded that always, always when you're getting dressed, parenting 101, dress for your kids, no other reason. Because if you're not dressed for your kids, you won't be comfortable because you're not wearing the right stuff to hide anything. Thankfully, I think I'm still clean, but you know what? It really doesn't matter. If you're sitting here and you're going, hang on a second, Uh, you said your name, you said would you work, We've seen your wife, if you pivoted your head, we know her, but we don't know you. Uh, That's because I normally attend and I normally speak to our evening congregation. Uh, It's it's a lot of fun. We're a small, vibrant community of mainly young believers or people who are growing in their faith, people who are just starting to discover what it means to be part of God's family. And uh, what I rarely ask of you, and it seems a bit strange, and I'm the preacher, I'm probably supposed to teach you something about God, give you something, but I'm going to start with a request Uh, Like Sheree was saying beforehand, my request from you is that you'd be praying for our evening congregation. And I don't mean that like flippantly, like uh, if you feel like it, if if you can squeeze it into your, I'm serious about this one. Maybe it's because I work in a college or maybe it's the people I engage with, but I firmly, firmly believe that the next generation is the future of the church. Not just this church, I mean the church global, all right? And what, what flips me out is that uh, at this particular location right now, the young people we're working with, many of them don't come from church backgrounds, but as you begin to engage in their lives, sometimes the brokenness and sometimes the victories that they experience, as you engage in their lives, it's, it's just obvious that God is stirring, that His Spirit is stirring within them, that something's happening. And I, I believe quite firmly if that something's happening is going to come to fruition, then it needs to be carried by the prayers of all the saints, of all the believers, of the body of Christ. That's you. That's your responsibility. So welcome to church. I'm excited to be sharing with you, uh, but please do lift up our evening congregation. You guys do an awesome job taking the chairs out for us so that we can come and squeeze into this place. Uh, but please do be praying for us. Hey, I'm not supposed to be speaking about any of that today. Um, I've been asked to share, and I believe this is week two of your There's Something Better series from the book of Hebrews, which means that uh, something was said last week, and I was preaching on James, Authentic Living, last week, so I've got absolutely no idea. So I'm just going to lay a foundation and hope that it doesn't cross over with last week and that it helps the other speakers in the future weeks probably or hopefully are here. You see, Hebrews, uh, we're camping in chapter 3 today, and Hebrews is a book where there's uh, five warnings or five encouragements to persevere, and the passage, chapter 3, we're looking at today is is one of those. Hebrews is one of those books where you have to have context when you read it. It's really important. If If you don't understand the context, you'll miss the significance and the urgency of the writer's message. So, Hebrews. It's written to a group of Jewish Christians, and and it's at this point in their faith journey, they've come to the realization that they actually have no real reason 
to continue following Jesus. Because the whole Jesus thing that they had signed up for, it was supposed to be good, but what's happening is it's starting to make their life really tough. This Jesus thing, it's not working the way they expected. You see, these, these early Jewish Christians that the Hebrew writer's addressing, some of them have started losing their jobs. Some of them are finding that their position in society is totally different. It, it's quite possible that some of them have been dragged out in public and publicly shamed and humiliated. It's possible that some of them have had their property confiscated. And so the Hebrews, there's this group of early Christians, they're beginning to examine their circumstances. And as they look at their circumstances, as they look at how their life is playing out, they go, hang on a second. This faith thing, this Jesus thing, is it worth it? Jesus said he was coming back. Well, where is he? We did what Jesus said. He's not holding up his end of the bargain. What's the deal? I don't know about you guys, uh, as, as you've been journeying through life, maybe you've had a time in your life where you've been really disappointed by circumstances. Maybe there's a point in your faith journey where, where whatever was going on in your life, you felt like Jesus wasn't holding up his end of the bargain. The Hebrews are in this, this little pivot moment where they're starting to give up because things aren't working as they had hoped. And so the writer, he's sending this letter to them and he's just pleading. He's got to get He's pleading. Five times, one letter, he says, don't give up. Don't abandon Christianity because of your circumstances. Don't lean on circumstance. And I want to just unpack the circumstance stuff for a little bit. I got a bunch of this stuff from Andy Stanley. He's an American pastor, really one of the, the global leaders of the church. And uh, he talks about circumstance like this. He says, there's two things that erode, erode faith fastest. He says, lifestyle decisions and unexplainable circumstances where God doesn't do what we want. That's what erodes faith. Lifestyle decisions and when things aren't working the way they should be. So circumstantial faith is when our belief system is shaped by external events, whatever's going on around us. And there's an extent to which every single person here has an element of circumstantial faith. Every person here, your faith is slightly shaped by what you see, what you hear, what you're re reading, and the experiences of the people you're talking to. That's fairly normal. The, the danger with that is when our faith leans on our circumstances because circumstances are really, really fragile. Let me put it in sporting terms. Let's say your belief system is that whatever sports team you support, so go into your mind to that happy sporting place if you have one. If you don't have a happy sporting place, feel sorry because sport is a wonderful thing. Like go into your mind to the happy sporting place and just imagine for a moment that your team is just constantly winning and your faith is that your team is the best team ever. Now, it's easy to have that faith when the results are going the way you want, but what happens when your team starts losing? But they start losing often. You see, if your faith is that your team's the best team ever, well, the results or the circumstances of your situation begins to unpick your arguments. And it's the same with God. You see, when our faith is based on what God will, could, or should do, it's dangerous. Stuff doesn't always work the way we like, yeah? One of the great uh, challenges in this whole faith journey is that, like, God's crazy. And his timeline, his perspective, like, what, what I see and think is important right now, 
God's just like, nah. Because he's got a kingdom perspective and a kingdom timeline. And that's a hard thing for us to live with. Do you, do you remember the story of Joseph? Uh, Joseph, God gives him this vision. It's a really good vision that Joseph gets. And he's so elated by his vision. And then what happens in his life next? Well, he is betrayed by his family. He's sent into slavery. And then just as things are starting to look up for Joseph, he gets imprisoned for 15 years for something that he did not do. Something he didn't do and he's in prison. And when we Read the account of Joseph. When you sit down with Scripture, it's kind of easy to see that God is slowly positioning him for a moment where that dream is going to come to fruition. But what if you're Joseph? What if you're in your prison cell and you don't have Scripture to lean on and you cannot see how God is moving you from one location to another location of influence and significance? What if all you can see is, I'm trapped? What if all you can see is I've been faithful and God, you have been, well, not very nice to me at the very least. I think the temptation for Joseph would have been to allow resentment and unbelief to grow within himself. The temptation for Joseph would have been to allow his circumstance to cause him to walk away from God. And what if Joseph had done that? What if Joseph had done that? Because if you know the story, you'll realize that God was positioning him for a remarkable time where he would literally save the lives of, and I'm not going to give a number, but it's nations, plural. But what if his circumstances caused him to quit? You know, if you've been in church circles for a while, you've, you've probably heard, or maybe you've said this, but you've probably heard someone say something like, God told me. And then you watch them live their life. And it's, it's really awesome when someone says, God told me, and whatever God said happens, that's good. But sometimes we can watch it happen and we go, oh, well, how come God didn't tell me? How come I didn't get that experience? Or the other one is when, when we hear someone say, God said, and we look at the person's life, or we look at our own life, and we, you hear what God said, and, and then, then the outcome is very different, and we go, well, maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe God didn't say that at all. See, when faith is resting on, when faith is uh, determined by outcomes, we're in a very dangerous position. Now, I'm laying a foundation here, and I don't want to confuse things, but I've got to drop this cave Eden, uh, just in case I'm confusing anyone. Hopefully this doesn't confuse people anymore, but I've got to drop this in. Uh, Many of us, or many Christians, at some point will have what we call a God experience or a, a God encounter. And it's kind of different, so I'm just going to touch on three common encounters, and you might have had one of those, or you might have something totally different. That's, that's your story. But, you know, often the God encounter is I, I rocked up to church one day, and, you know, everything seemed normal when I walked in. We were slightly late because of the kids, and I managed to just get my breakfast in, and my hair was good, so that was a good start to the day. And I came in, and the music was okay, and the preacher was okay, and then bam! I don't know what it was. I came to a normal Sunday and then there was this something inside of me. Something changed and I felt something. And that's this pivot point, this, this experience, this moment. For some people, uh, they'll be praying and, and many of us, we've prayed over and over again. That's, that's what we do. And so often when we're praying, it's like just throwing words out into this empty vacuum. You've had that experience where you're praying, you're like, God, am I talking to you? Or am I talking to myself? But maybe you were praying one time, and this one time as you were praying, something, whatever it was, 
change. That's a God experience, a God encounter. Maybe you've been sick and, and uh, things aren't quite working the way you want, and you just said, hey, God, can you please heal me? And then all of a sudden, no explanation, you just got better. Those are God encounters. And what I want to say to you is that God often uses moments and experiences to, to launch our faith. Remember, I said Joseph, he was given a God vision. That's a God moment, a God experience. And if you've ever had a God encounter, hold on to it. But don't rest your faith on the circumstance of your experience because these God encounters, these God moments, they come and they'll go. Sometimes you'll have prayers miraculously answered and sometimes you'll be praying and God is silent. Sometimes God's working really quickly and sometimes you're wondering if he's deliberately ignoring you. And... I guarantee he's not ignoring you, but it doesn't change how we feel in that moment. And if your faith is resting on your circumstances, this is a scary thing. Eventually, you'll lose your faith because the, random of li- the randomness of life, the situations that we just somehow find ourselves in, they always catch up. And when your situation seems more powerful than your faith, when your situation is overcoming your circumstances and they're no longer what you want it's at that point that people walk away I remember a really powerful story a person once shared with me they lost someone really really dear to them and they said they were just so angry with God that at that moment they walked I've walked with this person for some time they've come back to the Lord but that's what we're talking about when circumstances so strong they overcome our faith. And this is what the, the writer of Hebrews is desperately trying to address. So uh, if you've got your Bible here, great. If you don't, you probably have your phone. Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to Instagram. If I was in the evening, I'd say don't go to Snapchat. I'd say go across to your Bible app. Flick across, swipe across, use your flat screen. We're in Hebrews chapter 3. I got a massive passage. I cut it right down, super short, so we can just hit a couple of nuggets for us. So we're in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12. And uh, Sue's awesome. She's actually got it on the screen behind me, even though I told her the reduced amount of stuff just a few minutes before church. We've got some incredible people that volunteer in this place. So uh, here we go. Hebrews 3, verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters. So good that both genders are addressed there. It's a point for another sermon. I'm going to move on. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, just has been said, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they that heard and rebelled? Were there not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Verse 12 again. 
See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. When that sin word comes up, maybe it's just my, my youthful context, but when I hear the word sin, I think of these sort of deceitful, I think of uh, these just horrid actions. I think of murder, and I think of lust, and I think of theft, and I think of violence. Uh, that, that's sin. That's not what the author's speaking about here. All right? In this passage, sin has been defined as unbelief, separation from God, to, to, to relationally come apart. If you think about uh, the very famous start to Scripture, Adam and Eve, and their sin wasn't that they picked fruit. I, I really don't think God cares at all about what fruit they were eating. The big issue, I think, for Adam and Eve was that they ate the fruit knowing that if they ate that piece of fruit, they would become like God. And if you like God, you don't need God. And that's the sin. Because they're moving towards independence. They're moving towards separation. Sin causes separation. See to it that none of you has a sinful, so none of you have the desire for separation. None of you have an unbelieving heart that turns from the living, not a dead, a living God. This is the warning of the passage. And the writer... Jewish, so it's going to use Jewish history uh, to remind the, the, the audience, uh, the early Christians, and to remind us today exactly what happened to the Israelites who were freed from, from, from captivity. Do you remember that? Do you remember what happens? Do you remember the counts? Moses is out one day with his sheep, and all of a sudden this bush just combusts, and it's burning, and it's on fire, but it's not been burnt up. And it's talking. Well, that's a God encounter. That's a God experience. And uh, Moses does what he's told with a little bit of argument. Go figure that one. And he heads into Egypt and he speaks to Pharaoh and he says, you've got to free my people. The Pharaoh's really stubborn. And so God begins to perform sign after sign after sign after sign. God just proves that he's more powerful than the most powerful human ruler and he can overcome stubborn hearts. And we see what happens when the stubborn heart changes its mind. So Pharaoh eventually lets the Jews go and and they're on this walk to freedom and they're celebrating. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, Pharaoh changes his mind and they find that there's this army catching up to them. And how do the Jews respond in the wilderness? Why did God free us just to destroy us? They were looking at the circumstance, at the soldiers that were coming towards them. And all of a sudden, their faith was not what they wanted, and they'd rather go back and be captives. I want to be really clear, as it is in Exodus, God is not in the business of destroying people, especially those that call him Father. So he parts the seas, he sends the the Jews through, he washes away the army, and they find themselves in the wilderness, and oh, look, there's no food. What are you going to do? Well, God makes food rain down. But you know what sometimes happens? When we get caught up in the circumstances, even if they God experiences, we kind of get used to things. Complacency sets in. And you know, the Jews, they they, they get to this point where they're saying, ah, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better if we were still slaves in Egypt? You know why they're saying that? Because at least when they were slaves in Egypt, they understood their daily routines. They had control. The thing with faith is you're not actually always in control. 
and the Jews, they find themselves, they're walking, and they've just got to rely on God to give them this food, and they're getting just a little bit bored with this food, with this miracle. I don't know about you and me, but it would take quite some time, I think, for me to get bored of food from the sky, but it would happen, and it would happen for you too. We all get bored of those experiences at some point. And so the Jews say, wouldn't it be better if we could go back to Egypt where we were slaves so that we could have leeks and garlic? It's in the Bible. Look it up. It's there. I don't want you to judge them harshly. The, the, The grass is always greener on the other side when you compare your circumstance to another circumstance. And the Jews... Now they eventually get to the promised land and they see the people there. They're like, oh, they're big, they're scary. And what are they doing? They're circumstance looking again. And so God says, no, no, no. Your eyes have been turned away from me too often. For your unbelief, a generation does not enter the promised land. The consequence of sin, separation from God, is that we do not get to walk with God where he's going. The consequence of sin, separation from God, is that we do not get to walk with God where he is going. And uh, I read this stuff, and I don't know, maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm a big softie. Maybe you're big softies, maybe you're harsh, I don't know. But do you ever sometimes feel sorry for the Jews? Like 400 years they've been slaves. I mean, that's generations that don't get out of slavery. And they get this promise of a new home. And God, like, doesn't quite deliver it to that generation, does he? And there's this temptation to go, oh, yeah, that's a little bit harsh, God. Why, why would you do that? I want to ram this point home. Do you remember that moment where Moses, he's hiked up a mountain, and he's having a God encounter, he's having one of those God moments, and God's busy giving them the Ten Commandments? It's a unique way to do life, totally different to, to any other legal structure in existence in the world at that time. God is saying, here's a different way, here's a better way to live. Don't read it through your 2018 lens, you're reading it all wrong. It's a gift. Moses is up there getting a gift from God for the people. The people are down there looking at the other nomadic groups going, hey, they have like these shiny necklace things and they have these statues and they bow down and worship all these other gods. That looks like fun because there's a routine that we understand. We like that. Oh, it's, it's just that repeated rejection of God over and over again despite the miracles that they had seen. And this is why the writer of Hebrews is so concerned, because he knows that when faith is based on circumstances, desire for immediate comforts always outweighs past experience. I want to make this really clear. In temptations in life, what happens is that uh, when, your, when your belief system is challenged, it will be because your belief system has become unappealing. And when your belief system becomes unappealing, what happens is you drop it. And what that means is what you believe today will not be what you believe tomorrow because it's just not convenient. And that can be okay if you're worried about which sports team to to support. But ultimately, when your belief system is changing on the basis of circumstances, there will come a point where your circumstances hem in. And what belief system are you left with? What stands up despite circumstance? This is why I love Scripture. This is why I love Christianity. Because the foundation of Christianity is not an experience. 
The foundation of Christianity is not a set of circumstances. The foundation of Christianity isn't my ability to, to hear or see God at work in my life. It's, it's great when I can hear and see God at work, but that is not the foundation of Christianity. The foundation of Christianity is unwavering, unmoving. It does not adapt and it cannot be changed. The foundation of the faith system that brings us all together on this Sunday morning and that unites Christians around the world, irrespective of whether we call ourselves Anglicans, Anglicans or Baptists, the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. That's it. Really, really simple. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. He lived amongst people. The actions of Jesus Christ have been recorded over and over and over again. They're in Scripture multiple times and they're also in other historical texts. There's no doubting that Jesus lived and walked. Jesus lived and he had a family, families just like all of us. And families are complicated and they never quite do what you want. I want to sleep in in the morning. My girls just wake up. You know the best thing about holidays, which is what I'm on at the moment, is that I get to sleep until about 7, 7.30 if I'm lucky. But then you get Sundays like today. My alarm was set for 6.45 to get ready for this. And my daughter walked into the room and I think it was 5.50. Families never do what you want. And Jesus, he had a brother. His name was James. And James saw and he heard what Jesus did. And James remained totally unconvinced. He said, that trick that you just did there, my brother's crazy. I'm going to try hide my brother. It's in Scripture. Check it out for yourselves. The thing that convinced James that Jesus was God, I mean, just think about it for a moment. If you wanted to convince one of your siblings, think of your most obnoxious sibling. Don't name them. They might be in this building. Amy. Or maybe they uh, attend the evening service. Oh, you never know now. Think of your most obnoxious sibling, the one that never, ever agrees with you. If you wanted to convince your sibling that you're God, what would you do? Well, for James, he sees his brother tortured. He literally sees his, his skin shredded to the point that Jesus is declared medically dead. And there's this three-day gap where James walks around going, I knew my brother was crazy, moron. Hope no one comes after me. And all of a sudden, Jesus rocks up and says, hey, we're at a beach, let's have fish and chips. That's the point at which Jesus' brother, James, stepbrother, believed. After he saw his brother killed, after his brother came back from the dead, that's where James goes, ah, oh, I guess you weren't lying all this time. It must be true. And it's at that point that James becomes one of the early leaders in the church. James himself will be killed because he refused to deny that Jesus was God. He lived the first 33 years going, my brother's crazy, He'll live the next 30-odd years going, my brother is God. It's the resurrection, the reality of Jesus that changes everything, everything. Since, since his resurrection, over 500 people claim to have seen the risen Jesus, and, and, that's, and that's, that's why I have faith. I don't care about circumstances. Yeah, it's good when circumstances are nice. That's, that's comfortable. But for me, the reason for faith is that everything historically points to Jesus. Jesus said that he came that we might have life, life to the full. The promise is it's a promise for today and for the future. There's something more that the author of Hebrews is going to come out when you guys get to chapter 10 eventually. There's something more that the author of Hebrews is talking about. He's essentially saying, if you can just hold your faith in the circumstances right now, something more is coming. And here's the thing. The reason the account of Moses 
And the reason why the author is writing this to the, the group of Christians in Hebrews, it, the reason this comes up so often in the Bible, the Bible alludes to these passages just over and over again. The reason this happens is because it's really, really important because they're a reflection of our experiences. You see, the Jews, they were freed from captivity. They entered a period where they had received some of God's promise to be free. But they didn't have it all. They weren't in the promised land. And like the Israelites and like the Hebrews, we live in this almost but not yet. We live in this gap period. We live in this period where, where God's saving grace on the cross, that has happened, the resurrection has happened, and Jesus has promised to return. But he hasn't returned yet. God's kingdom is still coming. God's will is still being done. Today, on earth, as it is in heaven. And there will be a time when it is finished, but that time is not yet. We live in that gap. And so the question God asks us today is, will we harden our hearts or will we endure in faith and seek Jesus today? And I want to make it really clear. The, the writer in Hebrews isn't, it's divinely inspired scripture. It's not you and I writing our notes, which by the way, it's a hobby horse of mine. You should write notes in church because you won't remember what I've said next week. And if this stuff is important, that's a problem for you. Too late now, I'm nearly finished. The writer of Hebrews says, today. Because yesterday is too late to make a decision to follow Jesus. That's past. And tomorrow, I'm not trying to fearmonger out here, but the reality is, do not be so foolish to guarantee yourself that there's a tomorrow. Because you can't control anything when it comes to tomorrow. You might have plans for tomorrow, but remember, it is God's kingdom, God's will, God's perspective, and there's a lot of stuff happening out there which is not in your wheelhouse. You don't control that. So today, today if the voice of the Lord is speaking to you, if you're having one of those moments today, don't look at your circumstances, don't worry about how comfortable or uncomfortable that seat is. Today, step out in faith. Rest your faith not in circumstance, but in Jesus Christ. He is the firm foundation that you can set your entire life on. Rest in Jesus. So what will you choose today? I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up and we're going to spend some time in worship. We're going to sing a song called Nothing But The Blood. And that song's a beautiful song because it is nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that can wash our sins away. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can separate that, that gap. His blood is what restores right relationship. And so the band is going to come out and they are going to start playing. And... Uh, Evening church, we do things differently. Um, and as they lead us in this time of worship, don't worry about circumstance, don't worry about the way they play this song, don't worry about the person sitting or standing next to you, whether they sing good, sing loud, or sing bad. This church can be distracting like that. No, that's your circumstance. As we sing the song, and Yvette's going to lead us towards communion today, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, who is un that's a circumstance. That's a distraction. Today, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ because he is the one that can change everything today and forever. I'm going to pray for you guys. Father, I just thank you that, I thank you that you are so good that you sent your son. I thank you, God, that when we messed up, and we mess up all the time, I thank you, Father, that when we mess up, you say, I love you over and over again. I thank you, Father, that, that you do free and I thank you, Lord, that your perspective is bigger than ours. 
And so, Father, as we, as we get caught up in our circumstances, the circumstances of today, I ask, Father, that you would help us to have a kingdom perspective, that we would realize that we live in this gap, and that the most important thing is not what's happening today, but rather that we are walking closely with you towards our forever with you. So, Father, for every single person in this place, I ask, Lord, that you would help them to to have soft hearts, receptive spirits, that your will would be done in their lives, that they would encounter and experience you, but that their faith would be set firmly on you, Jesus Christ. In your mighty name I pray. Amen.